Critical Resistance Oakland to help create true safety and justice for all our communities. $5 at the door, no one turned away. For more information, call us at 510-444-0484. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover Open Book. And welcome to Cover to Cover Open Book. My name is Vinnie Beecham, and I'd just like to say congrats to uh, both our staff and our listeners for making the goal. Um, it was a really tremendous, uh, you know, long haul, but uh, we made it. So thank you, everybody, uh, for keeping us uh, uh, on the air for another few months. Uh, today on Cover to Cover, it's uh, really unusual. Uh, Amelia Gonzalez, who is the department head for uh, arts and humanities uh, came to me and asked me if I had something artsy fartsy for for cover to cover today because we've been working so hard on preparing for all the other marathon shows. Uh, we just needed something that was already available and and set. And um, I looked through some of the things and back in the late 90s I had a radio production group called the Rumor Mill Radio Theater and one of the pieces that we did was a collaboration um, called Home and the person that we worked with was Sammy Lee Webster Woog uh, who was uh, a graduate of the news training program he worked in our news department and when I came in I was really excited about uh, doing this excellent piece on homelessness uh, I thought about Sammy I went to the news department and I said well whatever happened to Sammy Lee Webster Woog and he said that he died uh, back in 2001 of cancer <clears throat> after he went back home uh, to get his graduate degree at Columbia School of Journalism so uh, this is kind of a tribute and a thank you uh, and kind of a remembrance since uh, we're coming up with to the Day of the Dead where we remember those who passed on uh, a remembrance of just the good work that has come through KPFA and uh, for me it's a special thank you for uh, to Sammy uh, for just being a positive influence and I really do appreciate his work so here we go with home
H O M E, home. One, a house, apartment, or other shelter that is used in the usual residence of a person, family, or household. Two, the place in which one's domestic affections are centered. Three, an institution for the homeless, sick, etc. Four, the dwelling place or retreat of an animal. Five, the place or region where something is native or most common. Six, any place or residence or refuge. Seven, one's native place or own country. Eight, the opposite of homeless. Nine, the destination or goal. Ten. Many of us look for homes, and we try to find for homes because of,、um, homes is an important thing for us. We know that we can't actually call a hotel a home, and we can't. We know we can't actually、um, call、um, one room a home. Um, right now I'm on the street. Is and is that home? Yeah, it's my home for right now, and hopefully, hopefully one day I'm gonna. Get everything straight now. You know, I have problem with my income coming in. A real home is a home where you have a place to live, be comfortable, living. You know, with a roof, a, a roof over your head. And hotel could be a temporary home for some people. For me, it is temporary home. But a real home is a place where you can be very comfortable living at. In a real home, you should have at least two, two or three rooms where you move around. In a hotel room, just a single room, and I had to little think, and then you have to use the bathroom with other people down the hall. I guess it would be a, a secure place that you could go, you know, a sheltered environment. Tree home is largely a state of mind, but physically speaking, I have three homes: one's on the East Coast, one's in Hollywood, and one's here in San Francisco. It's a place where theoretically we have civil liberties, and theoretically we have re- religious freedom and freedom of expression. But you see the way the political spectrum is changing, and our, I feel that our rights are being threatened, and I'm concerned about that because it makes my home, my quality of life, feel a bit less secure than it used to be. Well, I consider homes where I lay my head, and right now that's Golden Gate Park. I've been sleeping out there for a couple of months now. Well,、yeah, I have a home. It's, a, it's in Arkansas, man. But yeah, I can't go back there. So yeah, I'm not with family. <laughs> I'm a transsexual.、Uh, my mother doesn't accept me, so I can't go back there.、Um, it's hard in any other、uh, city or state to live, and.、Uh, It's also hard to live out here that way. I'm very private, and I like my own space, and you know. And so you need that to be home. Yes. Yeah. I mean, because we had a home, we'd be we'd be sitting here freezing. Okay. Something with a kitchen, a bathroom, and a place to put a bed. You know. Home to me is、um, warmth, love,、yeah. um, trust, honesty, clean clothes,、um, freedom to rest,、um, just being able to、um, feel safe. Um, having your stuff where it is when you come back to it,、um, leaving it where it was and coming back, having it be there.、Um, there's nothing like that here. <laughs> nothing. Stuff, refrigerator, warm、yeah. fireplace. Yeah. You know?
pillars, sofa, nice bedroom, uh, full kitchen, bath, washing machine, dryer. Yeah. <laughs> That's a home. Yeah. Home is something that has no. Home is what? Home is love. Home is trust. Worthiness. Home is uh, dependability. Home is the only thing that most houses don't have these days. Why? My home there, you know, to me it's uh, it's nice, it's comfortable, you know, and uh, it's it's not the best home in the world, but it's home to me, you know, it's, it's what I can afford at this time, you know, I don't have no complaints about it. Well, I have everything, TVs, VCRs, telephones, you know, kids, a wife. I know I'm at home when I walk through the door, but wherever I pay rent at, I know I'm at home. Home is the first concept. There's no constitutional guarantee or constitutional right to have a home. It's, 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 it's when you walk in the door and you don't have to look at all the madness out here and, it, and it's warm and it's uh, peaceful. And, um, you have choices when you're in your home. That's how you know your home. Home is where your height is. No matter where you go, if your height is with you, that's where your home is. So you're always at home. Try to be. Sometimes I fight with myself, so I'm always not at home. So I just moved out of a two-bedroom, two-bathroom condo in the peninsula. And I've had beautiful homes before, but I choose to be right here in the Tenderloin. Home is uh, somewhere I haven't been in a long time. <laughs> I don't have a home now because I don't have a, I don't have a family anymore. Uh, I lost my job. Uh, I lost my family. Uh, I just lost everything, and, and so now I'm uh, trying to... Uh, Kind of like, as you say, back up and regroup and um, try, to, try to see what I can do from here. You know, just go, go from here and, and feel good about it I can, you know. Feel as good about anything as I can. I came from, uh, I came from a uh, farming uh, community. Uh, the whole community was farming. Uh, they they grew uh, soybeans, uh, uh, corn, and uh, marijuana. <laughs> it looked like, if you could picture uh, the little, uh, maybe... Like like the little, like the song the little brown church in the dell you ever remember it's kind of like that you know it's just just a house out where no one there wasn't another house within you know two or three miles but like I say it was farming you know and we had a lot of land and uh, it was just uh, it's like uh, like I had a picture book you know homelessness is a state of mind I don't feel homeless I had a life I plan on getting another life I mean I have a sleeping bag I sleep in one spot I put it away at night I cook during the day I have a locker I keep all my things in but you know. I don't consider myself homeless. And home is San Francisco. I've lived here 18 years. I was going home to have a Friday night dinner with my parents. I wasn't going to tell them that I had gone for the test and was waiting for my results, but I sort of wanted to be around them anyways. I decided to take a bus home rather than the train, and I went over to the Port Authority and bought my ticket. I got my bus, and I slept most of the ride home. It dropped me off at a gas station a half mile from my house, and I could have called and gotten picked up, but I decided to walk. I came to my street, and it was quiet and dark, and I went onto the field and walked in the grass and stepped on second base, which I always do, because it would be bad luck not to. Then I walked to the end of the field and up the slope to the little strip of land that divides the big lake from the little lake. I took the path to the bridge over the waterfall, and I stood there and watched and listened to it pour down, and I was glad that the water still wanted to do that. 
And then I looked back across the big lake and the trees stirred and there were no leaves. And then my eyes went down on my own house and the yellow porch light and it was on for me. It was too far to see inside, but I knew that my mother would have set the table beautifully. On Friday night, she makes a big meal, and when I'm home, my father and I wear yarmulukes, and he says a prayer over the bread and wine. They were waiting for me, and I was thrilled that I could stand there, and they didn't know where I was. I could walk all over my own neighborhood, and they would never know that I was at home. I thought of creeping around my own house and looking in the windows. What do they see when I'm not there? What sick things would I see? I stared at my house and at its familiar shape and everything, and I realized that I didn't want to see my parents at all. But there was a part of me that wanted to run there as fast as I could and tell them everything and have them hold me, but I, I couldn't do it. I don't want them to know me. So I thought of just sitting on the bench by the little lake. That's all I need. But I felt bad for my mother waiting with her dinner, so I ran back to the gas station and went into the phone booth and called. She answered the phone, and I said that I was in New York, and that I was sick with a sore throat, and that I was sorry to call so late, but until the last second I thought I'd come, but I was just feeling too ill. And she was disappointed, but she was understanding and loving too, and it felt good to at least tell her a white lie. Then my father picked up another phone, she told him I was sick and that I wouldn't be coming home, and he never lets anybody be sick by themselves. He said, my left eye's been giving me problems, and I said, oh, really? But he didn't bother me. She told me to take care of myself, and if I could, pick up some matzah because Passover was coming soon. And I said I would, and then we all started saying our goodbyes. I mumbled something, and he said, good night, son. And she said, I love you. And I listened, and then we all hung up. I crossed the road from the gas station, and I hid behind the bus stop in case my father should go driving by, or if someone they knew should see me. After a while, when the bus came, I jumped out and flagged it down. I sat by the window, and I left my street, and... I didn't think I could tell them, and I wondered what I'd do if and when I became sick. But I put that out of my mind, and I told myself that I'm alive right now, that I'm alive forever. I pushed my seat back as far as it could go, and I looked out the window to the dark road. I thought of my parents eating their Friday night dinner, and I thought of my father wearing his yarmulke, and I sort of wished I had a yarmulke to wear in the bus. at home for, for some people is like you know the place they grew up or like the actual physical house that they grew up in for a lot of people that's home but for me it's like home is like where I grew up is not my I don't feel very safe or comfortable it's where you feel safe and comfortable and where you belong is your home and then for me I just feel like home is more of a feeling where I feel like safe and belong but then that didn't that doesn't um, actually, um, that doesn't actually describe where I grew up because I don't feel at home in this city or at the house I grew up in at all. I mean, for a time there, I did feel at home. Like, the one place I really realized I felt at home was when I used to be with my, with my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> and that was really one place where I really did feel at home. And then, then that kind of, I don't know, I don't know what happened. And then, no, no, that's not happening. I... I don't know where I belong. <laughs> I don't know where home is, and that's why I want to maybe, you know, go elsewhere and establish my own. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, always, it's weird becoming, you know, being this young adult now out of college. I think, like, how a lot of people strive to get that job, get that get that thing going, or, like, marry this person they love or whoever, and just build on that road to earning money and then buying a home somewhere and having that security and raising a family in that home. And sometimes I think about that, and I think that is not me right now. That is maybe one day down the road it will be, but I, I don't. I don't ever dream of a home. I'm 
I don't know. I'm trying to find things that make me happy in life, but I don't. I don't. I, I, I like finding a home. Doesn't really come. I mean, a physical like house home. I don't think that that's not something I strive for. Feeling somewhere where you feel safe and comfortable, and where you feel like you belong. And just right now, because I don't feel like I belong anywhere. I'm not happy with the job I'm in, and I want to change it, but I'm not sure how. And then I think I like music, and I'm just having a hard time finding the people to play music with. And I don't even feel like comfortable playing music with myself much anymore, just because, I don't know, it's, just, it's a struggle almost. And so I, I don't know. It's a feeling more to me, yeah, than an actual place, because the actual place is that... I consider home to people like, oh, where did you grow up? Oh, San Francisco. Oh, you know, um, I don't consider that home because, I don't know, I just don't. I don't, I didn't enjoy my upbringing and I didn't enjoy living. I still don't enjoy being in the house that I grew up in due to certain factors. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I grew up in San Francisco. I was born and raised here. I'm a native and all that other stuff, but I don't feel that this is my home. Um, so, you know, and, and, and so in a way, I felt, I found home with, by falling in love with someone, and that became like the security, and, and even though at times it got rough later on, I, like in hindsight now, I realize how good it was, and how I wish I could somehow work back toward that, because that was really where I felt like I had importance, not importance, but like a really, like a base, like a base of security, a base of comfort and strength. And now I don't have that, and I, it's not happening. I'm, I know it's not like I want to go out and find another one. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's now I'm like, for me to like think, okay, well, I just got to go out and find another quote unquote home by finding the right someone else. It's just, it's just, what? No, that's, no, I don't want to do that. It's not, you know, I just want my old home back. <laughs> I mean, being in love with someone, you feel that comfort, that strength, that bond. And then, for me, I found home in that love, that relationship love with someone, someone I was going out with. But as opposed, because I think a lot of people find home, like, like love, like, but home, a lot of people associate the love part of home as in family love, as in going home to mom and pops and just feeling that warm, just, oh, mom just cooked a great meal. Dad's watching football on the you know on the couch, but we're gonna have dinner together and it's gonna be a nice time. I think a lot of people associate that home, but that love for family is connected with that. Instead, I have a like a great love for family. Um, I mean, I do, but then I don't feel it a lot. Um, yeah, I found it more with the person I've been going out with. There's a certain jewelry like comfort. Not comfort in being alone a lot a lot of times for me, but a lot of times for me being alone is lonely. And there's a there's a familiar feeling to that, but it's not home. I mean I hate the feeling, but it's like a familiar feeling. And sometimes I I wanna like terminate that feeling. So it's not like home, it's it's a familiar feeling, but it's not home. It's not somewhere I wanna be. Somewhere I wanna you know, I, I used to strive for that when I was younger, when I was in high school, because I felt very alone, and I used to strive for that, and thinking, well, this is my home, being lonely, being by myself, this is my, like, my fortress or something, but it wasn't, it wasn't a place where I felt secure, it was a place where I felt more desolate <laughs> and desperate, actually.
don't know if for, a lot of late I've been thinking that I am God, I'm studying religious things but I am my keeper I am it's like I can only depend on myself and I that type of thinking that I only have myself and that and in a way that is thinking that I am my own home Her arms touching and her legs and her hair reaching out like tendrils to intertwine. The first time I slept in your arms, I knew I had come home. Your body was a ship and I rocked in it, utterly safe in the breakers, utterly sure of this love. I fit into your arms as a ship fits into water, as a cactus roots in sand, as the sun nestles into the blazing horizon. The house sails all night, our dreams are the flags of our little ships. Your penis the mast of one of the breeziest sailboats and my breasts floating half in, half out of the water like messages in bottles. There's no point to this poem. What the sea loses always turns up again. It's only a question of shores. Home. Homeless. Home. Remembering home. Home. Going back home. liked Iowa. He lived his whole life in the state and indeed even now is working his way through eternity there in Glenview Cemetery in Des Moines. But every year he became seized with a quietly maniacal urge to get out of the state and go on vacation. Every summer, without a whole lot of notice, he would load the car to groaning, hurry us into it, and drive off for some distant point, returning to his wallet after having driven almost to the next state, and then take off again for some distant point. Every year it was the same. Every year it was awful. The big killer was the tedium. Iowa is in the middle of the biggest plain this side of Jupiter. Climb onto a rooftop almost anywhere in the state and you are confronted with a featureless sweep of corn as far as the eye can see. It's 1,000 miles from the sea in any direction, 600 miles from the nearest mountain, 400 miles from skyscrapers and muggers and things of interest, 300 miles from people who do not habitually stick a finger in their ear and swivel it around as a preliminary to answering any question addressed to them by a stranger. To reach anywhere of even passing interest from Des Moines by car requires a journey that in other countries would be considered epic. It means days and days of unrelenting tedium in a baking steel capsule on a ribbon of highway. 
In my memory, our vacations were always taken in a big blue Rambler station wagon. It was a credit car. My dad always bought credit cars until he got the male menopause and started buying zippy red convertibles. But it had the great virtue of space. My sister and I in the back were yards away from my parents up front, in effect in another room. We quickly discovered during illicit forays into the picnic hamper that if you stuck a bunch of Ohio blue-tip matches into an apple or hard-boiled egg so that it resembled a porcupine and casually dropped it out of the back window, it was like a bomb. It would explode with a small bang and a surprisingly big flash of blue flame causing cars following behind a veer in amusing fashion. My dad, miles away up front, never knew what was going on or could understand why all day long cars would zoom up alongside him with the driver gesticulating furiously before tearing off into the distance. What was that all about, he would say to my mother in a wounded tone. I don't know, dear, my mother would say mildly. My mother only ever said two things. She said, I don't know, dear, and she said... Can I get you a sandwich, honey? Occasionally on our trip, she would volunteer other bits of information like, Should that dashboard light be glowing like that, dear? Or, I think you hit that dog, man, blind person back there, honey. But mostly she kept quiet. This was because on vacations, my father was a man obsessed. His principal obsession was trying to economize. He always took us to the crummiest hotels and motor lodges, the sort of places where there were never any coat hangers because they'd all been used by abortionists. And at the roadside eating houses, you always knew with a sense of doom that at some point before finishing, you were going to discover someone else's congealed egg yolk lurking somewhere on your plate or plugged between the tines of your fork. This, of course, meant cooties and a long, painful death. But even that was a relative treat. Usually we were forced to picnic by the side of the road. My father had an instinct for picking bad picnic sites. On the apron of a busy truck stop or in a little park that turned out to be in the heart of some seriously deprived ghetto, so that groups of Negro children would come and stand silently by our table and watch us eating white people's foods like hostess cupcakes and crinkle-cut potato chips. And it always became incredibly windy the moment we stopped so that my mother spent the whole lunchtime chasing paper plates over an area about the size of an acre. In 1957, my father invested $19.98 in a gas stove that took an hour to assemble and was so wildly temperamental that we children were always ordered to stand well back when it was being lit. This always proved unnecessary, however, because the stove would flicker to life for only a few seconds before sputtering out, and my father would spend many hours turning it this way and that to keep it out of the wind, simultaneously addressing it in the low, agitated tone normally associated with the chronically insane. All the while, my sister and I would implore him to please take us someplace with air conditioning and linen tablecloths and ice cubes drinking in glasses of clear water. Dad would beg, you're a successful man, you make a good living, take us to Howard Johnson's. But he wouldn't have it. He was a child of the Depression, and where capital outlays were involved, he always wore the haunted look of a fugitive who had just heard bloodhounds in the distance. Eventually, with the sun low in the sky, he would hand us hamburgers that were cold and raw and smelled of butane. He would take one bite and refuse to eat any more, so my father would lose his temper and throw everything into the car and drive us at high speed to some roadside diner where a sweaty man with a floppy hat would sling hash while grease fires danced on his grill. And afterwards, in a silent car filled with bitterness and unquenched basic needs, we would mistakenly turn off the main highway and get lost and end up in some no-hope town with a name like Drano, Indiana or Tapwater, Missouri, and get a room in the only hotel in town, the sort of run-down place where if you wanted to watch TV, it meant you had to sit in the lobby and share a cracked leatherette sofa with an old man with big sweat circles under his arms. The old man would almost certainly have only one leg and probably one other truly arresting deficiency, like no nose or a caved-in forehead, which meant that all Although you were sincerely intent on watching Laramie or our Miss Brooks, you found your gaze being drawn sneakily to the amazingly eaten away body beside you. You couldn't help yourself. 
Occasionally, the man would turn out to have no tongue, in which case he would try to engage you in a lively conversation. On another continent, 4,000 miles away, I am quietly seized with that nostalgia that overcomes you when you have reached the middle of your life, and your father has recently died, and it dawns on you that when he went, he took a part of you with him. I want to go back to the magic places of my youth and see if they are as good as I remember them. I want to hear the long, low sound of the Rock Island locomotive calling across a still night and the clack of it receding into the distance. I want to see lightning bugs and hear chickadees shrilling and be inescapably immersed in that hot, crazy-making August weather that makes your underwear scoot up every crack and fissure and cling to you like latex and drives mild-mannered men to pull out handguns and bars and light up the night with gunfire. I want to look for knee-high pop and 